Looking for a graduation gift to inform, inspire, and encourage? When you give a subscription to Christianity Today, you're giving redemptive, relevant news and thoughtful balanced dialogue about the church, current issues, and public theology. Visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to get a discounted student subscription for the graduates in your life. Starting at only $2 per month, this gift will engage and grow their faith throughout the year. Click the link in the show notes or visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to order now. is the Church Law Podcast, where you can get practical solutions for today's leaders. I'm your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney. Welcome back to the Church Law Podcast. My name is Erika Cole, and I'm the creator of the Church Attorney Legal Audit System, a proprietary process for denominations and churches to assess their health from a legal perspective. Download your free copy of the Church Attorney Legal Audit Document Checklist found in the show notes. I'm happy to be your podcast host and to welcome you to Season 5. I can't believe this September will make two years of this amazing community. I'm so glad to be with you and thank you for your five-star reviews and comments. It means so much to me, plus it helps fellow pastors and church leaders find this important resource. So if you're watching me on the Church Attorney YouTube channel, you'll see that my background is a bit different than usual. My office is undergoing a renovation, so I'm in this space for now. And please bear with me if the sound is a little different than usual. So since we're starting season five, I want to share with you our theme, strengthening your church for the long haul. I'm so excited about that. And why do we need to be strengthened? Well, because we have to be equipped for the challenges that life inevitably brings. Putting this in practical context, I work out with my trainer in the gym two to three times a week. My focus with him is on strength training. Why? Because as we age, we naturally decline in muscle mass, and we need as much muscle mass as we can to manage the stressors of life. Similarly, in the spiritual, we are losing our strength if we're not doing the things to actively remain strong. And obviously, I know from a spiritual perspective, for me, those are primary things like prayer and practicing having my own Sabbath practice, which means just getting away with God and being quiet and those kinds of things, obviously attending church and being of service. But we also recognize that there are some things that we need to do in the natural, right? And we recognize that pastors and church leaders in America face numerous challenges that are increasing in size, scope, and impact. And that's why today's episode is all about using a legal audit as a tool for integrity and supporting church growth. It's important to acknowledge that churches are in a regulatory environment, which is a reality that many churches may not have considered. So what do I mean by a regulatory environment? Well, while our constitution, of course, protects the rights of individuals not to be forced into a certain religion, there are laws that exist regarding church operations. In fact, there are many of them. 
I was actually in a meeting recently with fellow church law and tax editorial board members. And as lawyers and tax professionals, we're talking about what we're seeing in the church environment today. And we all agreed that the regulations regarding churches in many ways are much more complex and strenuous than those regarding a typical for-profit entity. These regulations are on the local level. So as churches maneuver things like zoning requirements and property tax exemption applications, their regulations exist on the state level as churches manage requirements for what constitutes a proper governing board or the process for incorporation, the process for amending bylaws, the requirements for sales tax exemption, all those are regulated by state laws. And there's regulation, of course, on the federal level. So we might think of those most readily because we know that the IRS requirements demand what tax-exempt organizations have to do in order to qualify. It also outlines who may qualify for a housing allowance and under what circumstances churches could be audited, etc. So I could go on and on, which is why we have an entire podcast that's dedicated to church law matters. So as I dive deeper in today's episode, I want you to be able to appreciate how using a legal audit is an essential tool, especially nowadays, to demonstrate integrity and for supporting church growth, because it creates a solid operational foundation that every church needs. This is one thing you can do now to help position your church to operate more smoothly for years to come. And I'm going to need you to stay with me because a legal audit may be a new concept, even for church leaders that have been active for many years. So I'll just say, sitting in my seat as the church attorney, I've represented thousands of churches as well as many denominations over the course of practicing church law for 25 years, which is amazing. I can't believe it's been 25 years. But I realized that there was a gap in the services that they need and maybe in the overall review that they would undergo. So I actually created a proprietary legal audit system to help denominations and churches understand exactly where they are in terms of compliance and operations. Understandably, churches tend to think about outward-facing operations, meaning the services and programs side of things. And again, that's absolutely important, of course, because the mission of the church, in my humble opinion, is to feed the sheep and to seek the lost. In order to be aligned with this kingdom mission, a solid foundation on the temporal side is necessary. And that's where the legal audit comes into place. So let's get into the nitty gritty. You've heard me use the phrase legal audit, but what exactly is that? What is a legal audit? So here's my definition. I would say a legal audit is a comprehensive probe into the structure, governance, and internal operations of a denomination or church from a legal perspective in order to ensure compliance. The point of having a legal audit is to help ensure that your church is utilizing best practices and operating with integrity, which from my experience is what every church leader wants to do. IRS rules can be very confusing and are frequently changing, but not adhering to them, even inadvertently, can wind up costing your church dearly. 
On the other hand, churches that have a legal audit can feel confident that their church has done its best to protect its leadership, its members, its property, and other assets. So it really is a critical tool to ensure that your church can operate for the long haul. While some may take a different approach, my legal audit system, the proprietary system that I created, is meant to be thorough and ensure that denominations and churches know that they have a mission-minded partner in the process. So here are the four levels that comprise the comprehensive legal audit system, the church attorney legal audit system. The first level is the diagnostic level. The diagnostic level, again, this is foundational. You'll find that each of these levels really build upon each other. And at this level, we are doing a general examination to know what do we actually have in place, right? So I'm going to take a look to see how, if the church is legally formed, and what records we actually have on file related to that, right, related to its formation. And I will just do a quick parenthetical here, as I often do, just acknowledging that not every church has made the decision to incorporate. And I've addressed this issue many times. I've received this question many times here on the podcast during our Q&A. It's one of the questions that's come up, I think, each time. So I recognize that not every church will make the decision to incorporate. However, if the church does make that decision, we want to make sure that we see what records are on file with the state. And then has the church adopted bylaws? Again, that's a general requirements of law. And again, frankly, it's very important to help churches operate because your governing board is going to want to make sure it has a governing document to follow, right? Is a board of directors or board of trustees or whatever you may call your governing board for your church or your denomination, is that properly in place? And we're going to see whether this is a, again, it can seem like a simple issue until there's actually a problem, but is the full legal name of the church being used in practice? Sometimes I've come into situations where churches have you know been inspired to use a different name, but that inspiration unfortunately doesn't actually translate to registration and all those kinds of things. So again, one of the beautiful things about a legal audit is we want you to be able to take the opportunity now to do this self-assessment so that you can avoid issues ideally in the future. And if the church again uses any trade names, have those things been properly registered? And ultimately, is the church actually in good standing? That's a concept that indicates that any of its requirements, generally on the state level, have been met. Okay, so just we're looking at this diagnostic review. I'm going to go through, I mean, there are more things, but I have an internal checklist that I use to make sure that we're able to assess these things. And then we move on to the next level. So the level one is the diagnostic level, level two is where we look at general compliance and internal governance. So we're going to examine the data on file with the state if it's current, if the, now we're actually going to be not just confirming whether we have some of these documents, but now we're going to be making a deeper review of are the articles of incorporation complete? Are they clear? Are they internally consistent? The same with the bylaws. And then are the bylaws and Articles of incorporation congruent with each other. 
unfortunately, some of the challenges that I've seen with churches, it's sad to consider that churches can find themselves in litigation, but we all live in the real world and we know that sometimes that happens. I've seen that many times in practice. And then when something brews and we have to look at these documents, we find that there are all these issues that have not been considered. And maybe the articles say one thing and the bylaws say another. And in the midst of challenges is not really the time to try to figure out what is what. Like you want to make sure that we do these things as clear headed as we can. And before there's a fire, what's the whole analogy that you don't want to learn how to swim just by being thrown in the ocean, right? You want to be able to prepare. So we also want to see if the number and selection of trustees comports with what the requirements are for the state, as well as with the documents that the church has adopted. And then we want to check any real property tax exemption if the church owns property. And then ultimately, we want to spend some time related to these issues around meeting minutes, around board resolutions, how those things are recorded, what sort of formats we are utilizing. I'm making sure that there are proper systems all together within the internal operations and the governance of the board. So we want to go through an entire checklist on this second level. All right. And again, there's sort of giving you the bare bones here, but I want you to be able to at least appreciate the systematic format here of why having someone walk along with you in this process with a deep level of knowledge to walk alongside the church. All right. Level three is where we're getting into the IRS compliance. And here, of course, we want to consider the letter of determination. There are certain regulations around the letter of determination, as well as the actual application for recognition of exemption. That's that Form 1023. Again, one of the IRS rules is that these items have to be made available for inspection. That's an IRS rule. And I find that many churches are not aware of it and actually don't have things in place to comport with that requirement. Interestingly enough, there is also a harsh reality that the IRS started this process some years ago where organizations that fail to file their Form 990 for three consecutive years can be automatically revoked. Automatically revoked without giving you any knowledge, any indication of revocation. And so we make a point to go through that revocation list to ensure that um, your organization is not there. And again, as a parenthetical, you may be thinking, well, I'm a church. Of course, we don't have to file 990s or I'm an organization that otherwise would be exempt. Well, I will tell you, stranger things have happened Um, because sometimes churches that anticipate that they are formed as a church may be formed as a quote-unquote ministry or some other kinds of entity that is otherwise required to file a 990. So this is why we have a systematic way of evaluating things rather than assuming what might be the case. And again, a part of what we want to confirm is that the organization is formed in the way that we anticipate, i.e. as a church, as opposed to something else. And then there are certain conflicts and other procedures that need to be in place and adhered to. Again, we're looking at IRS governance matters at this level. The IRS also requires a responsible person to be on record. 
So that responsible person and the address for the responsible person want to make sure that those things are correct. One of the challenges that I have seen happen with churches is that they don't have the proper information on record and therefore they don't get notices in situations where notices have been sent. And that can really be a negative spiral effect. So we want to, again, make sure that we take the time and effort to confirm these things now. And then matters related to the housing allowance. If the church or denomination makes use of a housing allowance, we want to make sure that we have the proper processes and protocols because there are really inflexible (laughs) rules around this very important matter of a housing allowance. And so that is a part of what we would consider at this third level. And then finally, the fourth and final level is where we analyze any risk management issues, financial risk and protections as well. So is there making sure that we have the proper comprehensive policies in place to address risk and also managing matters around designated funds if the church or organization makes use of designated funds. Also, your proper giving statements and the way donations are received, as well as compensation setting and review practices are in place and followed to avoid private inurement and excess benefit transactions. I know that that can probably sound like a lot of words there, but these are very particular IRS standards. And again, walking along with a professional who can help you avoid those things is important. And then if the church actually has an accountant or the denomination has an accountant, we want to confirm the annual audit or any audited finances, any information that we would work together as professionals to ensure are there. So the whole idea of a legal audit is to provide the church with knowledge of the status of the church's current documents and any improvements that should be made to reflect stronger compliance and integrity. Understanding the areas in which the church is most vulnerable and how the church can best reduce, if not eliminate those vulnerabilities. Knowledge around best practices. What are the best practices for today for a church or a denomination in this current environment? And then assurance that the church is poised to prevent late fees, penalties, notices of noncompliance, and put itself in the best position to avoid or mitigate lawsuits. I mean, these are the kinds of issues I've seen that the legal audit system is poised to assist with directly. And ultimately, we want churches and denominations to have the confidence to know that you're operating as a good fiduciary and a steward of its assets, right? And a steward of your assets. So I hope that you will take a moment to download the legal audit system document checklist And you will find from that checklist, again, you can download it for free. It's in the show notes. It will give you a really helpful start to use the checklist so that you can gather the documents and the paperwork necessary for the proprietary system. So you may not have all of the reference documents, but use the checklist to be able to identify what documents you have and maybe what documents you don't currently have. So 
you'll see that the checklist will have a place for you to indicate your articles of incorporation or certificate of corporate incorporation, dependent upon how your state references it. And I would have you write in the line that I've provided you there, the date of incorporation so that you can, again, just start building your own database for how your church is, is doing. And then next, your articles of amendment, if you have any, right? This is where there be any changes or revisions to the original articles of incorporation. That can include things like a name change, for example, and then the date of that amendment or any amendments. And then again, your bylaws. Some churches I recognize call this the constitution and or a constitution and bylaws, but write down the date of the most recent bylaws and hopefully you'll be able to see the adoption date there on the bylaws themselves. And then the Internal Revenue Service confirmation of the employer identification number, right? So generally speaking, when you apply for an employer identification number, when your church will have applied, you will have used form SS4. You know, the IRS does everything by form number. So that's a form SS4 you would have utilized back when you first applied for your employer identification number. And the IRS would have sent you a letter, depending upon when and how it was done, right? So back in the day when I first started doing this, we would have to mail off. Can you imagine? Put it in the mail with the stamp. When's the last time you've used the stamp? And mail out the application, the SS4, and then they would mail us back the confirmation. Then I think it went to like fax. And now, of course, we just do it online. But you want to hold on to and have in your records that confirmation letter from the IRS. And then your IRS letter of determination confirming tax-exempt status. If you have applied, and again, I recognize that not every church will make the decision to apply for tax-exempt status, and that certainly is a discussion for another day. But if your church has made that decision and has received this letter of determination, you want to gather that. And then you want to get a copy of Form 1023. Your application for recognition of exemption, again, if you have applied, hopefully you still have your a copy of your application with you. And then you want to make sure that you have a list of your current board of directors or trustees. I recommend that you write out the names and the roles, right? So whoever is the secretary of the board, for example, the president of the board, write out both the names of the board members as well as any roles that they may hold. I also would want you to indicate, you'll see on the document checklist that I ask you to indicate the names of any persons on the board who are related. And I indicate either blood related or related by marriage. And again, we won't be able to get into all of it on today's episode, but a part of what the compliance from the IRS standpoint is that we want to make sure that we have what the IRS calls a disinterested board. So a part of this process is ensuring that we have a board that comports with the IRS requirements. So in other words, you want to make sure that your board has a majority of individuals who are not related by blood or not related by marriage, right? So this helps us be able to see that. Um, and then if you have any registered trade names or any registered trademarks, um, or if the church owns any property, you want to have a copy of your current deed or deeds, or if you're leasing property, a copy of your current lease or leases. And also, I think we have a copy of your most recent um, accounting audit. 
So I'll um, I've sort of briefly gone through the document checklist, but go ahead and take advantage of printing that document out and going through the system, maybe with your board and making sure that you have these items in place. And if you're missing something, this is a good opportunity to see how you can gather those things. And again, I'm really excited to be able to share with you about the legal audit system. It really is such a very helpful tool as we talk about in this episode, to allow the church to do its best to operate in integrity and support church growth, because these foundational matters really do matter. (laughs) So I'll leave it there. I'm so excited to be able to be back for this season five, and I really love sharing with you, and I love hearing from you. And You know, again, grab your free downloadable checklist by clicking the link in the show notes. Using the checklist, you will gain a better understanding of what documents and paperwork your church should have in place. And while this is an invaluable tool, remember that it's just the first step toward ensuring legal compliance and the long-term success of your church. Thank you so much for listening. I am happy to be your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney and the creator of the Church Attorney Legal Audit System. As you've heard, it's my four-step proprietary system that helps churches and denominations assess their legal risk. Don't forget to get your free legal audit checklist using the link in the show notes and learn more at ericacole.com. And once you've completed the document checklist, don't stop there. Your peace of mind, as well as the safety of your church's operating budget are possible, and I'm happy to be able to help. Click below to schedule a free 20-minute consultation with me to discuss the church attorney legal audit system and what this comprehensive process could look like for your church or denomination. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you found value in the Church Law Podcast, please leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and a short review so that other church leaders can benefit from this valuable resource. I'm happy to be your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney. And you can learn more about me and how I serve churches and their leaders at erikacole.com. That's erikacole.com. This podcast is brought to you by Church Law and Tax, part of Christianity Today's podcast network. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that the host and the publisher are not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional person should be sought. Due to the nature of the U.S. legal system, laws and regulations constantly change. Listeners are encouraged to consult with legal counsel to verify the information provided here remains current. Visit churchlawandtax.com for more insights.